Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. On today's program, Jonathan Lucroy stops by to talk about his late signing with the A's this spring, his thoughts on the A's pitching staff, and of course, his thoughts on the art of catching. Then on the Player's Choice segment, 70s great Ken Holtzman joins us. He was a great hitting pitcher in his day, so I asked him about his thoughts on Shohei Otani, among other things. And finally, on the Shea Plus segment, John Shea and I discuss the A's recent offensive woes, Shamanaya's poor May, and we finally get to our conversation about baseball and sports betting. We welcome A's catcher Jonathan Lucroy into A's Plus. Jonathan, of course, in his first year with the A's, sort of a strange offseason for you, Jonathan. How would you describe uh, the free agent market and particularly how it affected you? Well, it was, uh, you know, just the, the market just changed. I mean, it was just, just strange. But, you know, <clears throat> it brought me over here. And, uh, you know, it's, I've had a lot of fun so far. It's a good team. And, uh you know, I enjoy living out here, and uh, we have, we're out in Walnut Creek, so it's a real nice area. But you know, it's uh, it's worked out pretty well. I mean, obviously not the way you think it does, but very few things actually work out the way we think it will. So in life, so it's just the way it goes. So you're sitting at home still when spring training is getting going. What are you thinking at that point? I mean, that's such an unusual situation for a player in his prime to be stuck with. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a bad year last year. And, you know, teams get a little scared whenever you have one bad year out of, you know, the, the past six. So it's like uh, it's one of those things that uh, it just, you know, just just the way it goes. And, uh, you know, it's it's not fun. But, you know, but on the positive side of it, you get to hang out with your family more and spend time with them. And I was fortunate to be at home for my son's birth. So who knows if I would have been able to make that if, uh, you know, if I would have signed with the team earlier. So and we just don't know. So I'm, I'm happy that I, I'm here and it's worked out a lot, really well. So uh, looking forward to the rest of the year. When and, and what did you think when you heard that the A's were first uh, had first called your agent? Uh, well, you know, I thought it was a great thing. You know, I... Um, I talked to Kotze, you know, I played with Kotze in Milwaukee, so I talked to Kotze about it, and he told me how much I enjoy it, and, you know, you know, Bob called me and talked to Bob, and, uh, you know, I know I knew coming over here that it was going to be a tough clubhouse and a, and a tough stadium situation, uh, but, you know, it's, I, I tell people all the time, you know, if it's not for the stadium and the, and the taxes, it'd be perfect, so uh, it's, uh, it's a great situation for me to come into, you know, it's like I said, the coaching staff here is awesome, and, you know, Skipper's awesome, and he just he makes it easy for all of us to do our job. So uh, that's really all you can ask for. Now it's probably tough for any player to come into spring training halfway through, but probably more so for a catcher. What's that like having to come in, not only just try to get your own swing going, but to learn a pitching staff? No, I mean, look, I've been traded twice in the middle of the season, so learning a pitching staff, you know, on the fly is is something that I'm not I'm not too worried about. You know, it's it's one of those things where you know I've had to do it several times in the middle of the season with you know with shorter with a shorter time time frame to do it in and uh, you know it's I had, I had three weeks to work with these guys and you know before I came out before we uh, started the season so ended up working out well 
Now, you mentioned the, the pitching staff. Uh, obviously, you've gotten to know them all now. Um, what, what's your impression, particularly, of the starters? Shamanaya gets off to a really nice start. He struggled a little bit in May, but you've had a couple of other guys who maybe got off to slower starts and have now turned things on. Well, where would you say the starters are? Well, we're not right, right where we want to be yet. I want I want to see a little more consistency behind the plate with them. Uh, Mangdon's been really solid. Um, you know, Manaya has it in him to be unbelievable every game, and we're trying to get that out of him right now. And, uh, you know, that no-hitter, as great as it was, you know, it's it's whenever, whenever you're on that kind of high, you know, it's it's hard to play up to that every time. And, you know, as a, as a young pitcher, he needs to learn how to do that. So we're working on that. And, um, you know, I think that uh, also, too, you know, other guys are giving us a chance to win as well. I mean, Gossett came up the other day and, and threw well. Gave us a chance to win. We didn't hit, but gave us a chance to win. And, um, you know, other guys are, are giving us a shot. I mean, that's all you can ask for, you know, especially, you know, with how young the staff is. I mean, these guys are going to struggle. They're going to go through ups and downs. I mean, I mean, they're not veteran pitchers out there. You know, they're, you know, Bauer, you know, Trevor, Trevor is, or Cahill, excuse me, Bauer. Cahill is, um, you know, and, 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 um, you know, he's hanging in there, but, you know, we're, we're getting after it. You know, Brett's a, Brett's a veteran guy. He's still trying to figure it out, too. So, you know, we're uh, we're just looking for a little more consistency, and I think we're going to get there. I, I should say at this point that if it sounds like we're in a big cocktail party, it kind of is. It's the Oakland A's 1970s team is back and in the dugout, and um, they're a fun bunch, as you can tell. It's yeah. fun and loud. Um, so you mentioned Manaya for and trying to get him back where he was. Is it mostly a confidence thing with him, and um, what, what do you see? You know, I don't think it's a confidence thing. I think that it's a, you know, I, I think, I, di- I just think that he's trying to figure out how to how to get up and how to get amped up for the game. I mean, whenever, like I said, whenever you throw a no hitter, you know, it's it's like it's like it's like, you know, like I'll give you an example. Like personally, like last year in the WBC, right? Um, we ended up winning the gold medal, played in front of a bunch of fans, had some big big huge games, and all of a sudden you go back to spring training and you're trying to play spring training games. It's like it's completely different. It's it's like it's like going from you know the big leagues down to rookie ball. You know, not 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 skill level wise, but intensity level wise. And so it's something that Sean's working on. I know he's trying to he's trying to get back on that and uh, trying to figure out how to keep that intensity level at a high level. Um, now you are as well prepared a catcher as I think I, I've ever seen. You've got uh, sort of famously this big binder of scouting reports. When did you start doing that, and what sort of things do you keep track of? I started doing that back in 2011, my my first year in the big leagues and. My first full year in the big leagues, I had a partial season in 10. And, um, you know, I just, for myself, the kind of learner I am, I'm a visual, I'm a visual learner and I have to, I have to constantly read over information to be able to retain it. You know, I'm not, I'm not a genius and I don't have a photographic memory. So I try to read over and over. I keep my stuff in the dugout with me. You know, I read over it. I, uh, I try to memorize it. That way, when a guy comes up to home plate, you know, I, I, I'm fully confident when I put fingers down. You know, I know, you know, what a guy does in certain situ- in certain situations, what he's looking for, what his approach is, with two strikes, all these things. That way we can try to, you know, attack his weaknesses as best we can. We talked about this a little bit during the spring when I talked to you for a story, but how much does that also maybe help you a little bit as a hitter? It does. I mean, look, you, you're in there in the box, and, you know, you know, like I have a pretty good idea of what they're trying to do to me. 
and you know sometimes it doesn't work out sometimes it does you know but for the most part I have a good idea what they're trying to do I mean you got a runner on third less than two outs and you got a guy with with a sinker a guy's a sinker baller on the mound he's probably going to throw you sinkers in to get you to roll over to get you to roll over to third baseman or shortstop where they can throw the guy out of home or keep him there you know you know there's just stuff like that so you got to adjust your you know you got to adjust your approach there in the box so I mean there's there's a, there's a million situations. I mean, there's a million different ways, and I mean, really, a lot of this has come through experience and really, and and, and full honesty, failing, failure, and you know, a lot, when you know, you learn, you learn best through failing, and I failed a lot. So, you know, I've hopefully I've I've learned a lot. You know. <laughs> Um, you really love talking about catching, um, and I always love talking to catchers for that reason. What do you think makes for a good catcher? You know, as a catcher, you have to understand when every time you go behind that plate, you're probably going to get hurt. That's the number one thing. You know, a lot of guys, you know, a lot, a lot of a lot of guys that want to be catchers, or you know, they they want to start their careers catchers or whatever. And there's guys, there's guys, you know, I can name off three or four guys right now that couldn't couldn't handle it you know and I'm not going to do that but you know that that are big league players that couldn't handle it and you know it's 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 a situ- it's a position of pain but it's a very rewarding position you know and for me you know catching a no hitter is something that I've always wanted to do and being able to do it is just uh, it's a highlight of my career you know and um, it's a special moment for me and you know it's I love I love messing with people, and I love messing with hitters. I love it. I fully enjoy it. I'm, it's a little it's a little sadistic, but I, I I love messing with hitters and making them look bad and getting them out. I fully enjoy it. I really do, and um, it's a pride thing for me. And I just I I, I don't know. Like I, like I said, I'm a little sick in the head, but I enjoy I enjoy I enjoy making hitters look bad, man. Uh, it's a uh, just really that's the that's the thing that's that's the one thing about it. I enjoy making hitters look bad. I enjoy winning. I love the win, and you know I love just being able to be in the action every play. Now you mentioned the no hitter. Uh, people always ask a, a starter after a no hitter. Uh, you know how how were you feeling the pressure? Were you feeling nerves? How, were you as a catcher behind the plate? Were you feeling some nerves as a, as Manaya's kind of getting near the end there? You know, <clears throat> last year. At the WBC, we played against the Dominican team, and they had Nelson Cruz, Cano, Beltre, Bautista. They had uh, Castillo was behind the plate. They had Evelyn Arcanacion. They had was Arcanacion on the team? Maybe he wasn't. Anyway, it was it was a stacked lineup, best lineup I've ever had to call a game against against in my life. Better than Houston's lineup right now, you know, like really good lineup. And we went through them. We beat them. And after that game, I was like, you know what? I don't care who we face for the rest of my life. I'll never face a lineup that good. And I called a game, a winning game against that, against a team like that. That, for me, gives me the confidence to go out and call a game. That, for me, is, is, is knowing, like, hey, you know what? I've been able to call a game against and win a game against a team like that, that talented, you know, that good. And it doesn't matter who we face now. There's no one who will ever be that good. So that's how I go out and call a game. And whenever you're in a no-hitter situation, I didn't bother me. I was like, you know what? If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm just going to call the game best I can, trust my eyes, trust what I see and what I feel, and go with it. And 
it worked out. You said afterwards that Manaya had essentially pitched it better than you'd ever seen anyone pitch. Is that pretty much true? That's true, 100%. Especially against that lineup. You know, that Boston lineup was just stacked. And one of the best lineups in the league right now. And, you know, he went right through him, and he had them all screwed up. And it was for me. I was back there laughing because I, I was like, this is great. This is awesome, man. You know, I was having a great time. So, um, yes, you know, the pressure, didn't really feel it. You know, I, I was, I saw it, but I was like, you know what, screw it. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And um, it was great. Like I said, it was, I really can't say much more about that. Now, one of my favorite fun facts about you, um, partly because we love Jason Kendall so much here in Oakland, was that um, you were a very young catcher with Milwaukee when Jason Kendall was there. How much did you learn just from watching him and talking to him? I can't tell you exactly what he said, uh, specifically. <laughs> Jason, not, a, not a family friendly. Yeah, but Jason, Jason's the best. He doesn't. I love the re- reason why I love Kid is that he tells you straight up how it is. He didn't care what you think or what anybody else thinks. He's completely honest, and he tells you exactly what he feels. And you know that's the way I try to be as well because I, I don't believe in uh, holding back when it comes to that. You tell somebody the truth, whether they like it or not, and. You know, that's how people get better. And um, that's how you get better yourself. And, you know, just I remember asking him one time, because we were doing blocking drills, and I can't say specifically what he said, but he, in, in his style, this is what he said. I asked him, I said, you know, how do you stop the ball so well and keep it right dead in front of you? And he looked at me, and he said, you get in front of the effing ball, and you effing let it hit you, and say F it. And I was like, all right. <laughs> all right. And that's, I was like, that'll, that's, so that's what I try to do. Just get in front of it, let it hit me, see where it happens. So it's, you know, it's just that, that was his train of thought. And that, that was his, the way he thought. It wasn't, oh, I try to do this and do that and all. He's like, no, he goes, screw it. He just, you're a catcher, man. You, you know, you're a target. Get in front of it, let it hit you. And for me, that's, I, I, I learned a lot in that moment, not just about blocking, but about, hey, the catching position at the big league level. You know, hey, accept, accept it. You're going to get hurt, you know. So it's, and you got to be tough and deal with it. Yeah, nothing fancy. That's a, Jason um, has a book uh, on catching that um, is not censored at all. It's yeah. full Jason. And it's, I always tell people who have kids who are catchers, get this book. Um, really, and even just young players, but just be forewarned that there are a lot of four-letter words in it. It's oh, yeah. just, and that's just Jason. But you will not learn more about baseball than you will from that anywhere else than from that book because it's just—he's he's the best. Um, now, I don't really want to put you on the spot, but I know you've enjoyed your time here in Oakland. You're a free agent, of course, again after this season. Were things to work out mutually? Um, would this be a spot that you would consider coming back to? Oh, I mean, I, I don't think you can, you know, I, I don't think you can really turn anything down right now, especially in this baseball market, the situation now here, or, uh, not only here, but, you know, across the league. I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you got guys getting tested, testing positive for PEDs and all this stuff. And, you, I mean, injuries. I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen. So, I, I mean, as far as coming back here and playing, I mean, like I said, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you can't look too far ahead, but. You know, it's. I think it'd be stupid to burn any bridges right now. Right. Now, I know you like the the looks of this team and where you guys are headed. And you've been improved, showing signs of improving most of the year. Really good young core. What do you think um, specifically about this year and what you guys might be capable of? You know, in all honesty, I think I think this is a. I think we're a sneaky team. I really do. I think this team has got a bright future. 
within the next three three to five years, 100% in my opinion. Um, the young core group we have here, infield, you know, Chappie, you know, you got Pender, you got our, you got our pitchers, you know, you got uh, we got a young we got a we got a lot of good young players here, and from what I hear, we got a lot of young players coming up that are gonna be good as well, and you know, it's the future is gonna be bright. No, excuse me, the future is bright in Oakland, and. You know, I don't think I've ever seen a young core group as good as this group here. You know, with Olsen at first base, too. I mean, it's, it's a good group to build around. And, you know, they, they, the Oakland, the A's have something go, good going on. And whether I'm here or not to witness it, you know, I'll definitely be watching from afar because these guys are extremely talented. And, you know, like I said, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm really thankful and, and, and glad to be here and be a part of uh, kind of their growth, I guess you could say. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on Ace Plus and, and kind of talking about the Ace future while being surrounded by some of the greats of the Ace past here, too. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Today on Player's Choice, we welcome in Ken Holtzman, the great from the A's 70s team, the great pitcher. Uh, Ken, what's this like being back with you, back here with all your fellow teammates for this reunion? Well, you know, I, I've told a lot of people, these, these were the best years of my life. And uh, I made lifelong friends of people here in Oakland, plus these players. And to be as successful as we were and to be as close almost 50 years later, it's really the story of our lives and uh, it's extra special and every time I come back it's 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 better it's even better well it's funny because people think of those teams as a team that brawled a lot um, which certainly you guys did did that maybe in some ways even bring you closer you know I think there's some truth to that I said we we were like a big bunch of brothers that used to fight all the time among ourselves but once the game started between the white lines it probably was one of the most uh, fundamentally sound teams in the last 75 years and that's probably why we won and, and I think everybody knows that. Now you were uh, famously one of the better hitting pitchers of your day. Um, what have you thought about Shohei Otani and what he's done since he's been uh, in the league? Oh, a few times I saw him it's remarkable. You know he's a pretty big guy. I didn't realize how big he was. I know he's from Japan but he can throw it like what do they say 100 miles an hour and he can hit a ball 500 feet. Must be nice to have those two abilities. I think eventually though they might have to decide for him to be one or the other so he can concentrate and get the full use out of him. Right. That's definitely not something you ever considered playing in the field and also could, and also hitting and no, pitching. I, I had a bat in the World Series having not batted during the regular season, and I got lucky, you know, a couple of times. And, <laughs> and uh, But, yeah, that was a big thrill. But I guess, you know, pitchers are not expected to hit, but they're at least expected back when I played to bunt and at least make contact. But everybody today, it seems like they're all trying to hit home runs, you know. It's a little bit different. It's true. Uh, how much do you still watch this A's team, this current A's team? I, well, whenever I live in the Midwest, so obviously we don't get it full time. But whenever they're on on a major league channel or something like that, I'll always watch the A's. And like I say, my heart always comes back to Oakland. I mean, you, you, it's hard to describe how special these years were for somebody like me. We're all in our 70s now, you know, we don't have that much to go. And uh, when everybody said, my oldest daughter was born here, she's an attorney, very successful attorney. And I said, you know, you were born right in the midst of a three-time world championship team. I have a picture of her up on Charlie O being held up by Debbie from Mrs. Fields Cookie. Uh, they were very special years. You know. Do you have a quick, really good story from those teams? That you, like, What's your favorite story that you like to tell about those teams? Well, 
probably the proudest and the most happiest I ever was was when they made the third out in the fifth game of the 72 playoffs. And it was everybody's dream come true to finally get into a World Series. And as soon as we got in the clubhouse, two of our stars, Moon and Vita, get in a fight. <laughs> only, only our team could get in a fight on the happiest day of your life. <laughs> I tell the story, they say, didn't you guys have team chemistry? I said, yeah, volatile chemistry. <laughs> Whatever works. Thank you so much for joining us, Ken. We welcome John Shea in for our weekly Shea Plus segment. John, I know you've been on assignment uh, and you, you've missed some excellent A's pitching, um, except for the one sort of strange thing that's going on is Sean Manaya seems to have lost his mojo in the month, month of May and, um, you know, has uh, <laughs> sort of been surpassed this month by guys like Trevor Cahill and Daniel Mengden and Frankie Montas even came up and made a really fantastic start. Well, I, I remember talking to Manaya at his locker when they announced uh, the A's will open in Japan next year, which you wrote about long before the announcement. But I, I asked him, I said, well, what would it be like pitching there? Because, you know, his ERA in April was one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we all assumed, well, if they're going to play two games in Japan, he's probably going to start one of them. Look at him now. His career is so changed from last last year the last couple of years his mindset is 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 uh everything about him has changed so uh, he said he talked about how his brother is stationed in japan it'd be great to pitch in front of his brother for the first time since college and, and you know it's just a great story in april well then may happened and uh, looking at his numbers 7.18 era in the month of may uh and it was 1.03 in the month of april i mean I mean, what happened? I mean, I, I see his strikeout to walk ratio isn't isn't what it was, but uh, what is he throwing a lot more pitches out of the zone? Is, yeah, is his mindset different? Yeah, you know, I think it's a little mix of everything. You get off to a hot start like that, teams make some adjustments. You know, everybody sees the video; they've all got their scouts, so they make some adjustments. You have to work a little bit harder. Maybe the location isn't quite as good. You start to feel a little bit of pressure. Why? Why am I not? You know, I think I think all things snowball, but I the main thing for him in April uh, was his outlook. You know, is kind of going in with a little bit more of an edge and and attacking guys. That I'm still seeing that. I I don't think that this is any you know like a major bump in the road for Sean Mania. He's still the A's best starter, um, so I, I think he'll get things sorted out, get back to being you know more aggressive in the zone. And in the meantime, I think the A's have got to be loving what they've got. Uh, especially with Daniel Mingdon, who's finally, you know, he, he was in that spot that, that Manaya had been in for so long as a young pitcher where he was inconsistent. You know, a good good start, two good starts, a bad start, two bad starts. Just couldn't quite ever get on a roll. He is on a nice little roll. Um, and, you know, this, again, I, I, baseball sometimes is so simple, even though it's uh, there's so, so many millions of things going on. He's throwing strikes. He doesn't walk anybody. He has not walked more than one batter in a game this season and he keeps saying that you know that's really it not walking guys so a few things here and there aren't gonna you know hurt you quite as much if if there aren't as many guys on base so you know fairly obviously well he's obviously been more consistent than Manaya. he hasn't had a great month and an awful month but if you were to pick one guy who would make the all-star team from the the pitching staff who would it be Blake Trinan (laughs) okay you wanted to be specific about the rotation did you (laughs) 
Yeah, well, no, I mean, it doesn't necessarily, but you're right. Trinan's been oh, yeah, awesome. Uh, just uh, and, and the great thing about him and the way Melvin uses his bullpen is the fact that he, he goes one-plus innings. He's not the stereotypical one-inning guy. Yeah, he's been marvelous. Uh, you know what? Cahill has just been phenomenal, too. He hasn't given up more than three runs in an outing, um, and, and usually far less. He, he worked this absolutely terrific game against Tampa on Memorial Day, eight scoreless innings, the most he's most innings he's thrown in five years. Uh, he had a, was working on an extra day of rest, and they brought up Montas a, a day early to, to give him an extra day, which I th- think was was smart, but the, the A's offense is just not scoring. And that was the most uh, uh, egregious example of that was, you know, 13-inning game on Memorial Day, zero runs against Tampa, who is not, hmm. you know, the A's play, have played so well against some good teams, as, as particularly Boston. Uh, but uh, Tam- not scoring in 13 innings against Tampa, a team that had played the day before, flown overnight, and then played a day game on the West Coast, boy, that's... Uh, that was not an outstanding showing by the offense. So the A's aren't hitting at home, which is you understand when a team is playing in the Coliseum that they might hit fewer homers at the Coliseum than they, they might on the road. It's a it's a pitcher's park, but it's so extreme. You know, 17 homers uh, at home and 47 on the road and 12 runs and seven games on the homestand. That one, that's a head scratcher. It's uh, mm-hmm. they, they seem to be an offense where either everybody's going at once or everybody's just completely stopped at once. Chris Davis, obviously, out for the entire homestand with uh, the groin strain. That's been a huge problem, of course, for them. But he's one guy. Everybody else is gone cold. Well, what is the Chris Davis effect? I mean, we I, I thought he was an all-star last year. Yes. Uh, um, you know he wasn't picked. Uh, he, he had a great start this year, and he's, you know, he, he doesn't have a great WAR. He doesn't play defense anymore. But the impact in the middle of the lineup, you know, it, it can't go unnoticed uh, by other teams. And when he's absent, and then you have the young guys, Chapman and Olson, are they trying to do too much? Are they trying to power up without Davis around? And, and the the presence of Davis just makes that lineup so much more deep. And allows younger guys to kind of fit in around him. He's the big bat, uh, and, and uh, you know, talking to the younger guys in that clubhouse, they they do look up to him as the big bopper. And you know, when he's not around, it's it's really a difference maker, and it, it might be getting to these guys. Is that is that the is that pretty accurate? I think that's fair to say. It shouldn't necessarily be the case, but yeah, you, you know, you look at it, and it's Olson and Chapman in the middle of the lineup now. That's a lot to ask for for guys who, with such little service time. At the same time, uh, 12 runs in seven games, that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's really subpar. That's, they've, they've got to do better than that in, in Davis's absence. He is, it's not a one-man team. This is not LeBron. <laughs> not, not the Cavs. <laughs> and we're going to see plenty of LeBron in the next Plenty of LeBron, weeks. that which should be fun. So, Johnny, you've written some really interesting stories uh, recently, um, one that, that the A's probably won't won't get to see too much of with Tampa in town. I think everybody was interested to see if Tampa would do this thing where they're starting a reliever and having them go one inning and, in a few cases, two innings. Uh, I, it's unclear what their plans are for, for the final game here, but, um, you know, I really wanted to see Sergio Romo start a game. First of all, <laughs> I've o- always loved watching Sergio Romo pitch. And as you know, my husband, Darren Brown did a sort of a heart wrenching story with him a few mm-hmm. years ago and his close relationship with a young, 
uh, childhood cancer victim. Uh, and so I've got a soft spot for Sergio, but uh, he ha- after he came in, in in the th- in the thirteen inning game and worked in relief, I'm not sure we're going to see that. So tell us a little bit more about about what they've been doing. Well, baseball is a copycat league, right? I mean, if the champion does one thing right, other teams seem to follow. Whether it's using the closer in a high leverage situation in the seventh inning, uh, bringing back a starter on just a couple of days rest in the postseason, uh, pitchers hitting eighth to give you a couple of leadoff guys at the 9-1 spot in your lineup. Uh, and and now we've got Sergio Romo, the, uh, the Rays, the, really the first team to try this. It's been talked about uh, quite a bit, and nobody was really brave enough to try it. I mean, the Rays are a you know, low pa- uh, payroll team like like the A's, and you know they they've been uh, on the creative side on, on many fronts over the years. And remember, Joe Madden was their manager back in the day, and their front office was uh, trend setting. And to this, uh, yeah, Sergio Romo, uh, forever a reliever, and suddenly uh, suddenly uh, you know he's the opener, not the starter, <laughs> but the opener instead of the closer. He's the opener. You know, four times uh, the Rays started him and just let him go in inning. It worked the first two with uh, with the Angels, uh, predominantly right-handed lineup, especially at the top. Uh, you know, not so much this past week with the Orioles, but uh, you know they've been they've been thinking. Well, you know, a couple of things in play here. Uh, one, if you look at the stats, uh, more runs scored in the first inning than any other inning this year. Uh, if you avoid facing the top of the lineup so the actual starter coming in the second inning doesn't have to face those guys guys maybe he'll face the five six seven guys in the in the lineup uh, and the second inning uh, fewer runs scored in, in the first inning so so now uh, you're if you're gonna go five six innings you're gonna go deeper into the game you're gonna go to the sixth you're gonna go to the seventh cuts down on the bullpen usage at, at the back end. And also that uh, this advanced in, uh, analytics generation, we always talk about the the third time through the lineup. Well, maybe that starter, who's really the second inning guy, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, he doesn't necessarily have to face that top of the lineup uh, a third time. He'll maybe only see him once because the Romo, uh, you know, the reliever would, would face him in the first inning. So anyway, it's... It's uh, you know you know I I was with the Giants the past week on the road and you know I spoke with them and they're they're not uh, at the forefront of analytics like the A's have been uh, you know going back you know to the beginning of uh, Bean's time and Sandy Alderson uh, you know big big fans of Bill James etc we all know the story of Moneyball uh, the Giants uh, who were always a, a scout oriented team not necessarily advanced uh, analytics team uh you know they're just trying to get aboard this year really for the first time so even they are paying attention to this and that tells me if the giants are paying attention to this then the a's and other teams certainly at least would be monitoring it to see if it's something they might consider or even implement down the road uh you know, Romo is 35. He's at the back end. He, you know, he's not a lights out reliever. He doesn't throw high 90s, but he's got that killer slider, and it's really effective, as we saw against the Angels, against right-handers. So, anyway, th- this whole uh, 
story, uh, you know, brought me to uh, Steve McCaddy, the former A's uh, starter, who was actually the last guy in the majors to start consecutive days and throw at least one inning. Other guys have been ejected after a few pitches and came back and threw the next day. But McCaddy was actually the, the only guy to complete a full inning one day and uh, start the very next one. And that was way back in 1980 during Billy Ball. And Billy Martin was not known for pulling starters early. I mean, as we know, they uh, they were all workhorses uh, back in the uh, early 80s under Martin. And uh, so anyway, that... Uh, uh, it was an interesting uh, time to talk to McCaddy because he, you know, brought me back to that uh, time in '80, and it was it wasn't an injury, it wasn't a rain delay, uh, it wasn't an ejection. He just uh, kind of stuck stunk up the joint for an inning and two thirds against the Brewers, and uh, so Billy pulled him. Uh, they were down three or four runs, and the very next day he went up to him and said, "Hey, can you can you make this start?" And McCaddy back then, I mean, they didn't say no to anything. He says, sure, I can go. And he went eight and a third innings the next day, and they beat Seattle 12-3. to three. So it was, a, it was an odd situation that Billy pulls the guy the first day, and then uh, the next day he goes eight and a third. But, you know, we all remember the Mike Norris, Rick Langford, Matt Keogh, McCaddy, Brian Kingman. Those guys, uh, you know, set records for complete games uh, over that two-year span, 80 and 81. And remember, 81 was the strike-shortened season. They, there were 271 games played by the A's, 154 complete games. I mean, just incredible. Uh, but uh, anyway, he's uh, McCaddy's. He's a uh, AAA pitching coach now, and he he said he's not a big fan of this, but he said he'll let it. You know, he'll let it play out and and see uh, where it goes. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure the A's are monitoring something like that. I'm, and 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 if so, you know, who who would be an A's reliever who? You know, if uh, if Manaya starts the second, or if, if if one of these guys, Graveman, comes back and starts the second, what A's reliever might be effective enough to go that first inning? Boy, you know, I I mean, you want to save your back end guys for the back end, and mm-hmm. then I'm not sure anybody else is necessarily, you know, sort of a. Yeah, it's got to be somebody that's a real matchup guy. The way that Tampa's kind of using him. You know, a lefty against a lefty heavy mm-hmm. top of an order or a right-hander who's really got great numbers against right-handers for a right-handed top. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, a little bit like Tampa. It would probably be a, a moving target, I would think. But, uh, mm-hmm. it's or or Petit, maybe, uh, who might go a couple innings. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he's, 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 he's started in the past. He's Absolutely. worked multiple inning games. But, uh, anyway, just a kind of a fun thing to follow and whether any other team jumps into this who knows it's so different i i really uh i really think it's a uh, gonna be fun to to watch if they keep it up now speaking of relievers uh and 35 year old relievers you <laughs> talked to one of my all-time favorite guys uh, opposing players jp howell who is from sacramento and has lived in san jose for a while um tell us what jp howell is up to um the longtime ray dodgers reliever yeah just a few years ago he was in the dodgers uh, bullpen and 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 showing a 1.43 era and uh you know helping the dodgers to the to the playoffs last year he was in toronto 
and he didn't pitch much because of a, a sh- shoulder injury. He got released in, in August, and you figured a uh, mid-30s left-hander, he could find a job no problem. But as we all know, it was tough to find jobs in this offseason, and considering his age and his injury, teams weren't that interested. So now he's in independent ball. He's here in the Bay Area, San Rafael Pacifics, uh, the Pacific Association. It's uh, six teams in the Bay. It's the only West Coast uh, independent league. And uh, Mike Shapiro, who worked with three teams, the uh, the Braves, the uh, Nationals, he was the general counsel of the Giants back in the day, uh, and, and he's been running this Pacifics team uh, and helping with the league for the past decade. So he gets a phone call over the winter, and it's from a guy who asks, hey, you know, can you tell me about your league? Uh, are there any age restrictions? Um, uh, you know, can you have major league service? Uh uh, are there tryouts? And, and Mike Shapiro saying, well, who is this guy? You know, I'm, I'm answering all the questions. I'm kind of curious. And he finally says, well, uh, my name is J.P. Howell. <laughs> and Mike says, oh, shoot, you don't have to go to the tryouts. I mean, if you want to play on this team, you're on the team. And uh, next thing you know, uh, he's on the team just last week. Uh, so he called back and uh, said, you know what, um, kind of out of options. Uh, is the offer still there? And he said, absolutely. And a couple of minutes later, they, they both decided that he's the opening day starter. Love it. <laughs> he hasn't been a starter for the past 10 years. Uh, and as uh, as uh, Howell told me in a conversation, he said, well, the more reps, the better. You know, he's still trying to get back in, in the big leagues, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, starting with a minor league team or not. But, you know, for now, he's trying to start his comeback in uh, this little uh, San Rafael Pacifics team that, uh, well, it's not little to them. It's kind of big. I mean, the, the stadium is not, uh, it's not Dodger Stadium. It's, <laughs> it's Albert Park. It's 900 people. And, uh, and, you know, the average pay is 600 to 700 a month. Not a day, not an hour, a month. And, uh, he says, Hey, I don't want your money. I just want to pitch. And there's a, there's a payroll cap. And he said, "Hey, spread spread that money around to the other boys. I, I will oh, need that. I, I mean, he's made all his money. So anyway, he's heard that Eric Burns played there, and you know, remember Burns? He played there for a couple of days with the, with the uh, the robot uh, strike zone uh, umpire, and uh, uh, you know, a couple other times. So you know, he knows about the league. He knows about the team, and he knows Mike Shapiro, who runs the team, has you know major league ties. So it, it's a uh, you know, as he said, because he's from Sacramento, he has family in Marin County in Novato, and which is you know the the town just north of San Rafael. Uh, he says that you know I'm I'm coming full circle, so it's kind of a kind of a cool story. He's back in back in the area where he grew up, Sacramento. Uh, he said he's never really lived here because whatever team he played for, you know, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, L.A. In Toronto, he's always lived there and uh, never really returned to his roots, and now he's returned to his roots. Yeah, that's what it, that, that could potentially be something to keep an eye on. He is left-handed, as you mentioned. He's only 35. Uh, plenty of left-handers have pitched well into their 40s. So uh, I would love to say I've always kind of hoped that he might wind up with the A's at some point because he's a, not only is he just a terrific guy from a media standpoint, which, you know, granted, who, who cares beyond us, uh, you know, ink-stained wretches, but uh, he, he's also renowned as a great teammate. And I can't tell you the number of relievers who have come through the A's who have played with JP somewhere and have talked about his impact on their careers and, you know, teaching them what to throw and how to handle themselves and uh, just a 
a, a really great guy. So that's a nice story. Now, we've been promising to talk about sports betting and its impact on baseball for quite some time. I don't have the first idea, you know, how this might impact baseball. I do know that the league has made some deals over the years with some things that are essentially betting entities, DraftKings and things like that. How, how do you see this? Well, I think baseball is softening like football did, like hockey did. Uh, you know, the Raiders are heading there. Uh, obviously, the Stanley Cup is there. Uh, the hockey team, the Golden Knights, fantastic uh, expansion team. Uh, who would have thunk it? So there's all kinds of excitement in, in Vegas. I think uh, major league outlets uh, in all sports are realizing that you, you just can't say, well, we can't bet on teams, we can't do this, we can't do that, because fans are doing it legal or illegal and now uh with, with what happened uh, it, it just you know supreme court uh justices ruled that uh, um you know they can't they can't keep these rules intact uh, so basically betting on baseball games will be regulated they'll, it'll be taxed uh, um so money for the government and and maybe not so uh, illegal the way we do things with the bets, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it, baseball has been in bed with DraftKings, uh, fantasy sports operators, uh, for several years now. So there's no hiding that they know it's here. Uh, um, you know, we we don't always bet on who wins, who who loses. It's it's you know, we, 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 how many innings will the guy go? How many hits will the guy get? And I wouldn't be surprised if there might be some in-stadium betting down the road. Uh, you know, what, what's the next pitch going to be, a ball or strike, a hit or a walk, uh, uh, you know, big money on the hit by pitch. And it, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's a little scary because it's a subtle game and the players control it. Now, we haven't had stories of baseball players betting really since Pete Rose uh as a manager you know bet on games that he managed and uh he got thrown out of the game as a result and you know this is a little bit different than steroids because steroid users are allowed back into the game and anyone who would bet on a game and uh, we all see the message posted on every clubhouse uh, is out of the game for life and that's where pete rose stands so this doesn't allow pete rose back in the game uh it, it's uh, it's still eight men out. It's not eight men in. Uh, Joe Jackson is is still on the banned list, and uh, um, Arnold Rothstein is not going to get a pardon. <laughs> so uh, it, it's 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 here to stay, but it's still a touchy situation. Baseball really has to monitor, as it always has, through uh, its uh, you know policing ways. Uh, it really has to make sure you know players don't. Don't uh, go down the wrong road and, and work with people to, to help throw games or to even affect games. But, you know, through it all, baseball and other sports, they're demanding this uh, integrity fee, 1% integrity <laughs> fee, which is going to be millions and millions and That's millions rich. of dollars to uh, to say, well, we've got to monitor this. we we got to make sure it doesn't affect the integrity of the game, which... Which uh, which is strange. We're basically, they're saying, "Hey, we want a piece of the pie." That's all it is. Yeah, that's exactly Mark, right. Mark, Mark, that's a, that's Mark, a little hypocritical there. My goodness. Yeah, Mark Cuban of the of the Mavericks uh, said that uh, you know once this ruling came down, that every pro franchise doubled in value. 
because of this. So that integrity fee they're really looking for. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure that's ever going to happen, but that's that's going to be negotiated. And, and you know what? It's also going to be part of the uh, CBA talks you know, between the union and owners coming up because the uh, players will also want a piece of the pie. Um, you know what? I'm, tr- I'm a little troubled with this. I, I don't know if there's a greater possibility now that, say, players would try to throw a game. I, I You know, there has been betting in the game. I, no one's naive. Everyone knows that betting still goes on. Uh, but, yeah, you know, betting, gambling, there are g- very serious gambling addictions that rip apart families and if you know there's in stadium betting and things like that if it goes that far boy what sort of message are you sending now i okay there's in in stadium alcohol sales and sort of alcoholism a massive problem etc yes i know but i i just i find it troubling this is this should not be the focus of america's pastime you know it's it's a sport yeah. to go and watch and have fun and with your family and so not not to bet on you know uh, fantasy that's different fantasy sports that's that's totally fun that brings in a whole different bunch of fans i love that but um when you start getting into sort of the really specific bet on every aspect ugh, yuck that is not that is not sports to me that's uh, and that's, we've already gone away from uh, who wins who loses uh yeah you know with, with these fantasy teams it's well i got this tight end from that team that quarterback from the other team uh, you know, this catcher from this team, this first baseman from this team. So it's not always, um, you know, root, root, root for the home team. It's root, root, root for my team, which, uh, you know, I have players on both of these teams. So I'm up here in, in, in the back row uh, cheering for things that nobody else is cheering for for different reasons. And this is just an, ex- an extent of that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 it's troubling. I, I hope that it uh, it winds up working out. But uh, again, something that we will revisit, I'm sure, and in future episodes of ace plus john shea thanks as always for joining us and we will speak again next week susan thank you this show is part of the san francisco chronicle podcast network our theme music is the third by anatech courtesy of the free music archive the show is produced by me and fernando diaz for more ace coverage you can follow me on twitter at susan slusser Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.